0: Welcome to the bridge church podcast. Our purpose statement at bridge church is to reach people where they are and help them grow. We hope today's message inspires you towards growth and we pray it's life changing and we hope to see you soon. Good afternoon. So thankful that you guys were able to come out tonight. I do want to make uh, a couple of announcements as we get going, the first of which is, um, as some of you may know, we are uh, launching a second campus here and uh, it will be downtown. But in order to do that effectively, we do want to be able to promote it well. And that really starts by having a strong and stronger online presence. Uh, We're asking that for those of you that are interested in helping us uh, continue to grow our online presence, uh, we are trying to create a more well-rounded social media team. And so if you'd like to be on that, please email info at bridgechurch.org nyc.com. That's info at bridgechurchnyc.com. Uh and again, we are not looking for someone who is extremely proficient. If you are, please email us. But we are needing some people in that space. So if you're wondering, please email us. If you're if you have any questions, still email. Secondarily, we also need a team leader for that team. And um, that is an actual job uh, that we have, and that will be on our website. And that's at bridgechurchnyc.com backslash jobs. Bridgechurchnyc.com backslash jobs. So a job means it's compensated, praise the Lord. Um, it may not be the compensation um, like the world. Amen? So, but it is, <laughs> but it is. We do love you. Okay? Um, all right. We're continuing on in our series in the book of John. And what we've said is that in this book, Christ is proclaimed. And that is what John is trying to do. When you get to the end of the book of John, he says, I've written these things that you might believe. John is an evangelist. That's his heartbeat, that you would believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. But he's also in this book Not only getting believers to proclaim the Lord Jesus, but he is documenting the claims of the Lord Jesus. In this book, we have claims and we are to proclaim him. Amen. And so today we are going to talk about John the Baptist in John chapter three. John the writer writes, but John the Baptist is written about. And it's interesting because the controversy that we see here is not because of John, but it's actually because of John's followers. It's the people in his life that begin to distract him. And John has to help uh, his followers understand who Jesus is. Proverbs 18 and 24 says, a man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Um, now oftentimes this verse is used about Jesus, but I also think this is instructive about friendships. What this is saying is the word companion there in the Hebrew is indicative of someone who'd be a neighbor or someone who'd be an inmate in jail. (laughs) But what it's saying is the person that's close, but it's actually not saying they're close. It's saying they're close in terms of proxemics, but they're not intimate with you. This is what we would use for the word associate. And what it's saying is if your life is filled with associates, your life may come to ruin. Because your life might be crowded with people, but you're still lonely. You don't have deep connections. And he says, but there is a friend who sticks closer. And that word friend means intimacy. It means connection. What, what, the, what the writer is writing in the Proverbs is that all of us may be filled with people around us who, is, who are kind of close, we kind of know, we work with them, we know them, but we can't help it. We need people who are close and people who influence us. We need friends. This sermon is not about necessarily how to make friends. That's a whole nother message, but this is just the natural proclivity to have people in our inner circle who shape us and connect with us. And because of the fracturing of the family, because so many of us come from spaces where we're underparented. friends in our culture has now replaced family. Who do you really look to for insight? Who do you really call on? Is it your actual family? For many of us, it's actually our friends. Friends have now replaced the family. In addition to that, the number of people unmarried in our country in 2020 compared to 1960 is astronomical. About half of our country is single and has no desire to get married. I know that's not this room, amen, amen. (laughs) Some of y'all looked at me like, that's not my prayer request. Telling you the statistics. <laughs> but there's a very good chance the people that mold you are your friends. More than your mom. More than your dad. Those are the people that are molding you. And one of our challenges is that sometimes intimacy is enough, closeness is enough. And have we ever really wrestled with, have we considered, is your faith informing your friendships? Do you have a Christ-centered vision of friendships? Jesus elevates relationships. It's it's a fascinating moment in Matthew chapter 12. um, Jesus is doing a miracle and doing what he does. And his brothers, uh, his mother and brothers were outside. And it says in verse 48 of Matthew chapter 12, but he replied when they were saying that, who is my mother and brother? Um, And verse 49, very interesting what he does. He stretches out his hand towards his disciples. And he says, here are my mother and my brothers for verse 50, for whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. And in that text, what he was not doing is diminishing our actual family, but he was elevating our spiritual family. And he was saying the people that you get close to you ought to want to get you close to the father. That you have to be very careful about who you let influence you. You know who I'm going to let in? The people that want to do God's will. That's what he's essentially saying. Not discounting his own mother but redistributing the way we envision closeness, brotherness, sisterness. A real friend will celebrate you getting close to Jesus even if it's at the expense of that friendship. If you have someone that would celebrate your fame and your brand and your flat platform and at the same time you are in any way being disobedient to the Lord. In other words, they're celebrating your ambition, but they're also not allowing you to live in submission to the Lord. That's not a Christ centered friend. Your brand should never come at the expense of Christ's glory. Your platform should never come at the expense of Christ's glory. In a day and age of brand building, fame seeking, everyone's a public figure. Is God your number one audience? Is Christ your deepest affection? Are his eyes more important? And do you have friends that push you towards that? Or is it enough for your name to be known and not Jesus's? The context of this book is how um, or the context of this moment is about John, John the Baptist. Now, everybody knows John for baptizing people. Thus, John the Baptist. John the Baptist is an itinerant Jewish preacher. He had established a following. John the Baptist had his own disciples. John the Baptist would go out to the desert. John the Baptist was known. But John the Baptist had a cousin named Jesus. And the only thing that was, that was different, in other words, Jesus was performing miracles. And Jesus was teaching. So that was Jesus' market. He was the miracle worker and the great teacher. But John the Baptist was the Baptist. That's what I do. I do the Baptist thing. And as long as Jesus was doing miracles and as long as Jesus was teaching, there was no controversy. But the controversy in this text is when Jesus starts baptizing. So John the Baptist, that's where the tension lies in the text. Jesus starts baptizing. He gets in on John the Baptist's racket. He gets in on what he's known for. And what's interesting is that John's perspective on his ministry was very clear. Look what John says in John 1 and 15. He who comes after me ranks before me. He says in John chapter 1, 26, 27, he says, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know. Even he who comes after me, in other words, you guys knew me before you knew Jesus, Even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. What John is saying, I know exactly who I am. I am not the way. I prepare the way. I am not the man. I'm sitting next to the man. No, no. I know who's in the driver's seat. I know who is the hero of my story. I got it clear. He was very clear about his ministry and very clear about who led his life. But his friends weren't. You see, the reaction of his his disciples, you will see, will be our tendency to focus on our own influence over the influence of Jesus. And for those of you that are starting off in your walk with Christ, there will always be people who are passionate about you and they could care less about you fulfilling the purpose of your life. And so there's some of you in here tonight that you're saying to yourself, I need to rethink about how I do friendship. But there's other, others of you tonight that you're growing and you're maturing. So you're like, no, oh, this is a good message for them, right? <laughs> but even for you seasoned saints, there is a tendency for us to gather friends who are not really a voice, but an echo. In other words, we oftentimes do a better job of co- collecting agreement than godliness. Do you really have friends that are more passionate about your walk with Christ even more than you? Let me say that one more time. I don't think you got it. Do you really have friends that are more passionate about your walk with Christ than their being passionate about you. Yeah. I'm committed to your growth, Amen. even over our friendship. Yes. And so the, the context here is baptizing, but it's really ambition and having friends more committed to ambition than sanctification. John 3, verse 22. After this, the Jesus and his disciples went into the Judean countryside and he remained there with them. And this is where the drama of the text builds. And was baptizing. John is building up this dramatic scene because Jesus up until this point had not been baptizing. That was John's racket. And so... John writes this in order for them to see the nature of the controversy. Now understand this, that when he says after this, it's talking about Nicodemus. For those of you who were here last week, you heard Rasul preaching on Nicodemus and how Nicodemus was confronted about being born again, how you needed to have an encounter with the living God and how you become a child again spiritually and how you have to grow. But then in verse 23, look there. It says, John also was baptizing at Anon near Salem because water was plentiful there and people were coming and being baptized. Jesus is baptizing. John is baptizing. Jesus is baptizing and John is baptizing. Now, we're not really sure what Anon is. Geographically and historically, we don't really know where it is. But if you look in verse 26 of chapter 3, what it essentially says is the John disciples say, Look. So there's a very good chance this was close enough where people could see the disciples of Jesus start going to him to get baptized instead of going to John to get baptized. And the disciples of John get frustrated because they're losing their lines. They're losing their name and their fame. All are going to him. And then in verse 25, it says, Now a discussion arose between some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification. If you guys remember the other week uh, when I was preaching on Jesus turning water into wine. It talked about these jars that were there and how they were filled up, 30 gallons of water, and how those were really buckets to have ceremonial cleansing. At that time, ceremonial cleansing was the way that many Jews saw the concept of purification. And so, where their minds went when they thought thought about being pure was always washing their hands, washing their bodies. And essentially, there is this fight and controversy of why are you guys going and getting dipped in water when we already wash our hands and wash our bodies? We are already performing ceremonial, ritualistic acts of cleansing. Why do another type of cleansing? Jesus will address this in Matthew chapter 15. In Matthew chapter 15, watch what Jesus says. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. He wasn't talking about the coronavirus. Praise God. Wash your hands. Wash your hands. Praise God. This is not to take literally today. Praise God. Wash your hands. Jesus says, No, 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 I get it. You're washing your hands, but there has to be a transformation of your heart. You're doing all the rituals. But the true transformation does not come from clean hands. It is a transformed heart. And the the word discussion there, it was a debate. They were arguing over this. And the disciples didn't get it. And we look at the the disciples there of John and we think to themselves, I mean, come on, guys. Washing? How could you get lost in the concept of washing hands and, and the actual work, the internal work that happens that God wants to do? But before we check the disciples, we need to check ourselves. Because we all have a proclivity to fall into the habit of focusing on external rituals of purification and presuming that they supersede internal sanctification of the Spirit. We must keep in mind that we tend to fall into the trap of mistaking ritual for renewal. You can come to church. I'm so glad you're here today. Praise God. But coming to church, coming to a building, lifting your hands in worship, And singing a song does not mean your life is changing. You are doing an external ritual. It does not mean you're having internal transformation. You're clean because you do all the right things. You give, you serve, you pray, and we see you externally. But God is looking at your heart. He is looking beyond your external ritualistic tendencies. You can serve the poor, and that's such a good thing. And you fight for social justice, and that's such a good thing. But you can fight for social justice. You can retweet things. We can be activists. But as active as you are, are you changing? Is the Holy Spirit changing your life? Or are you just doing external rituals? In a couple of weeks, we're having baptism. I pray that some of you get baptized. Some of you need to be baptized. You need to do baptism because you need to tell the world. You need to stop having a private relationship with Jesus. You need to go public with it. You need to put it on Facebook. Amen? Amen. You need to be out with your relationship with God. Right? <laughs> but, but, what I, but what I'm tally, telling you is far too often people do baptism because they think the act is what's transforming them. They think somehow the water transforms. The water does not transform. The the preacher does not transform. And the songs don't transform. The spirit of the living God transforms. He changes you from the inside out. And that's what Jesus told them. It's It's not the outside. It's the inside. Well, this is what the debate is. And so, in verse 26, after this debate, somehow this debate lingered into the idea that Jesus was baptizing too. And so, in verse 26 of John chapter 3, it says, And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who was with you across the Jordan to whom you bore witness, look, look, he is baptizing and all are going to him. He is baptizing and all are going to him. They are zealous for John's influence and they are jealous about the influence of Jesus. They want to see John's ministry grow more and more and more. And they're frustrated. Look at old Jesus stealing our disciples. Look at him. He's taking away our influence. Look at him. They're walking away from the ministry. John, you know you were before him, right? You remember that? You remember, you remember when J- Jesus came on the scene? Like, you went before him. You remember that? Do you know who you are, John? Do you know you bore witness to him, John? You see, they're amping John up because his friends are trying to create controversy. This is not even on John's mind. John's not even thinking about this, but it is his followers that are thinking about it. And and I want to show you something. This is a commercial break. Praise God. This is for free. Amen? Amen? Look. This look, look what they do in order to create controversy. Notice the one thing they didn't do in verse 26. They didn't say his name. Because in order to keep things going, you got to dename someone. you got to call them out their name. You've got to make them an issue, not a person. And so because it's hard to be mad at people when you're around them. So you've got to dename them. Notice they don't even bring up his name. Notice if you read, if you just make observation, he who was with you, to you bore witness. He is baptizing. They're going to him. You've got to dename him. And notice what they say too. All are going with him. You've got to exaggerate as well. (laughs) In order to keep controversy going, don't bring up the humanity of, of the person. Bring up the controversy of the individual. Exaggerate it. Make it more than what it really is because you'll never really have peace with that person if you keep the controversy going. That's all for free, amen? But they want rivalry. They want a rivalry with Jesus. What is the perspective of John's disciples? What's their problem? Their problem is a problem we have. It's a problem of the city. It is a problem all around us. Ambition. 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 More. Being more. Driving for more. More of a name. Ambition. These disciples had left their former lives to follow John. And they had this enthusiasm because they were early adopters. They got to be on the bottom floor of the John Disciple Movement. They were there when they made the website. Amen? Huh? Yeah. They were on the ground floor of this new move of God. And right at the height of the ministry, I mean, right when we got people with you, look, look, y'all want the city. Okay, we'll move out to the countryside and we'll do our thing. We got plenty of water. You know what I'm saying? We got plenty of water. We dip in people. We're doing our thing. We're blowing up. We're blowing up. John just got verified. You know what I'm saying? We're blowing up. And all of a sudden, the people that were in lines for us are now in lines for him. And it looks like their line is longer. And John, John, can you do miracles? You can't do miracles? Come on, man, you can't do miracles. (laughs) So, do something. (laughs) You see, the nature of ambition, it would be defined as this earnest desire for achievement, honor, power. And there is such thing as holy ambition, a good ambition but it is only the ambition that seeks to have God be glorified more than yourself. That is a pure, holy ambition. But there is another ambition. There is another ambition that strives for excellence, but also competes for intimacy with Jesus. It is an idol and God hates idols. Idols are liars and they are destructive. Unchecked ambition will have you working hard and scouring and running up and down the streets of New York City. And while your career is on Main Street, you've put Christ in the suburbs. and you've moved them out of the way. We're working so hard. We're working so hard that time with family and Christ-like friends now are on a lower level. Church, there will always be people who want to support your ambition, especially when they see your skill. There'll always be people who say, you you know, you're the next. There'll always be people who say, you mean you've got something special. There'll always be people who will massage your ego for your career. There'll always be people like that. Have you found people, though, that are a catalyst to godly ambition? That say, hey, you've been spending too much time over here. You know, we don't see you anymore. We just we haven't heard from you in a while. You know, why don't we pray about that? Do you, no, I don't, I don't, I'm not trying to get you upset. I'm just saying maybe we ought to pray about it. Have you considered some counsel before you made that decision? No, 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 I don't want you to be mad at me. I just want you to do the right thing and be obedient. And you crowd out the godly people because you've defined friends as only those who celebrate your success. And you've defined success by all eyes on me. Unchecked ambition will leave you to ruin. Spiritually, but you might be successful in the flesh. Be very careful about what types of celebration you let influence you. There'll always be someone to celebrate you away from Jesus. They'll applaud you right away from Jesus. Woo, look at you, right away from Jesus. Celebration is not enough. And so, so what's wild is John has the right perspective. He already had the right perspective. We looked in, in John chapter one, he already had the right perspective, but, but what does he have to do? He has to now check his friends. But what's true is that he has to recheck them. He has to say what he said already because sometimes people need things on repeat. That's not the nature of marketing, right? They just keep, my kids know about Geico. I'm like, y'all don't even have cars. (laughs) They're like, dad, do we have Geico? I'm like, why are you asking me that question? (laughs) Because it's on repeat. They got my kids thinking about insurance. I'm like, you don't even do long division well. (laughs) No, you got to say things again and again and again because people don't get it. Why I said this? Well, say it again. You think because you said it, they're just gonna stop? So, this is what happens. John chapter 3, John answered them after this little discussion and debate and argument. John answers them and he says, a person, listen to, listen to John, man, he's so wise. A person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given from heaven. He says, you yourselves bear witness that I said I'm not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. Do you know what he just said? He said, I already told you all this. You, you all. He says, you all bear witness, meaning you all were there a couple chapters ago when I said this already, but since you didn't get it, I'll say it again. I'm not the Christ. But he adds to that because sometimes you just can't say the same things. You've got to teach your friends. Now, notice these aren't just his friends. These are his followers. Sometimes you have to teach your followers. Teach those that are under you, those that are following you. He says instructively, you know, we can't get one thing unless God gave it to us. So the way that he looked, listen now, the way that he looked at his influence, he thought it was a divine gift, not a natural talent. And because he looked at his influence as baptizing, as a gift From the divine, he looked at it as a stewardship. He said, God gave this to me. That's how his perspective was. My significance is a gift, not a cause for boasting, not a cause for competition. It's a gift. My platform, my reputation, my success is a gift, a divine gift given to me. And my gift was given to me to bear witness that he's the Christ. I was never given this gift for my name and my fame and my glory. I was never given this gift for competition against other people. I was given this gift for God's glory. For his name. Because I don't believe I'm the hero of my own story. He's the hero of my story. And if you're open to him, he'll be the hero of your story. No, I'm, I I can't, I love the way he says it. He says, I can't get one thing. So he's not just talking about baptism. He's talking about breath. He's talking about movement of your legs. He's saying, every breath I've taken, I rented from the Lord Jesus. Every move that I've made have been given to me. Do you know what that is? A mark of humility. There are people who proclaim spiritual things, but they live like they're self-made. That's why they're proud. They function like they're self-made. And when you press in, you hear the pride. Because they start talking about their past. Then start talking about all the stuff they've done. And when you really dig into it, they start talking about how talented they are. Yeah. And you flip that on its head and you go, by the grace of God, I am who I am. I didn't choose my parents. I didn't choose this city. God placed me here. I didn't, I, didn't, I didn't construct myself. I was constructed. I did not create myself. I was created. Everything I have, I've been given. That is the mark of humility. And those humble people don't create controversy. Amen, James. Amen. Verse 29, he goes on. He goes on and now gives them an illustration. It says in verse 29, "The one who has the bridegroom is the one who has the bride is the bridegroom." So you've got the bride and the bridegroom. Then he says, "The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice." Therefore, the joy, this joy of mine is now complete. He uses the imagery of a wedding and the celebrations that happened at weddings. And he's saying that the person that is the bridegroom's friend, which is like the best man, or the maid of honor for the, uh, the bridegroom, the maid of honor, and um, for the bride, the maid of honor, and for the bridegroom, the best man. They're the people that are close to the moment, but they know they're not the moment. They're right there, and they know they got one role. You know? She's like helping the dress. Now the ring. I look at them like, that's your time, bruh. The ring, you got one job. The ring. They're like, oh. (laughs) They're there to support the bride and the bridegroom. And they're happy when they're married. And they're not caught up with the fact that the attention is not on them. Side note, commercial break. I have done, when people ask me how many weddings I've done, I seriously don't know. Because I started off in college ministry and people got married in in the South. And people get married early in the South, praise the Lord. So (laughs) I don't know how many weddings I've done. Let me tell you something. When you are a part of a wedding, insecurities come out. And there's always a dramatic friend, mother, cousin, brother, uncle that thinks that the moment is about them. And they take away the attention from the two people that it is, it is only about them. But sometimes, some, somehow it became about you. It's not about you, boo-boo. It's about them. It's about them, and we should be celebrating them. And so what he goes on to say is, he says, look, I'm, I'm the friend of the bride and the bridegroom. I'm the friend. In, in, um, in Jewish culture, this was called a shashbend. And a shashpin was either the friend of the bridegroom or the friend of the bride. And this was a person who was there. And what's interesting is that it was actually one of the practices of Jewish leaders and teachers is that they would really work to make sure the friends of the bride and the bridegroom would bring the joy. They, they wanted the shashpin to bring the joy. Because they know that every crowd and every event, there'll be moments of people just kind of stale. And they look to them to bring the joy. Now, that's a side note. I'm I'm just telling, like, when you have a room and you've got joy, you need to bring the joy. Bring the joy. And this imagery, look what he says. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. Now complete. I am completely satisfied with the attention being on the bride and the bridegroom. And in our terms, it would be Jesus and the church. I love it when it's glorified. I love when Christ is glorified. I don't need the attention. I know my role. I know I'm next to the bride. I know I'm next to the bridegroom. I know my role. And I'm so satisfied that they get the glory. And can I side note this for you? This is a single person being happy that married people are getting married. And he says that the unmarried person can have complete joy. That in many ways that that you are celebrating what God is doing in the life of people and his church and Christ manifesting himself. And they bring the joy. And real friends get enjoyment out of the right things. And they celebrate the right things in your life. They celebrate the right things in your life. And 1 Corinthians chapter 13 says this. Love does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. And in our day of the fracturing of family, and in our day when friends are now our new family, and in our insecurities far too often, it is enough to be celebrated. But do we have people who bring the joy to the right things? Who bring the joy when you have been serving God at the expense, sometimes at the expense of what you've been able to do before? That your life is now changing. And if your life has changed and your posture towards your friendships have not changed, something is wrong. That you now need a new council of people who bring the joy towards Christ in your life. They celebrate you as you're more devoted to Christ. They celebrate you as you're reading. They celebrate you as you're going to church. And you are influencing them for the sake of Jesus. And so, John, his tagline, his one last statement he makes is in John 3, verse 30. He says, y'all, at the end of the day, he must increase. But to me, Everything I have is a gift. I've got to decrease, y'all. I'm sorry. I know you want me to increase. I know you want me to increase at all expense. But I've got to decrease. Astronomers tell us that in the sky, there are one septillion stars. That's one with 24 zeros it. There are only on earth with the naked eye, 5,000 stars we can see. And because of earth's rotation, we can only see at most about 2,500 stars at one time. And then even of those stars, only the bright ones get seen. You know, those bright stars? Here in the city, it's hard to see stars. But when you're in the countryside, you see all these stars, stars in the sky lighting up. And the brightest stars sometimes can light up a little area, bright stars. But every star knows the sun's coming out. I've got only a little bit of time, but the sun's coming out. I've got this little bit. I'm just this little bright star. There's a bunch of stars that people don't even see, but I got my little star right here, but the sun's coming out. And in just a little while, just like Annie said, the sun's going to come out. And you're doing your friends a disservice If you let them celebrate you as a bright star and you don't tell them the sun's coming out because every knee will bow, every tongue's gonna confess the sun is out. Everyone on earth will see that the sun is shining and bright and even if it's not on earth, even if it's not tomorrow or tomorrow or tomorrow, there is a tomorrow where the sun will be out and everyone will see him for what he's worth. And so you use your little bright star To tell the world there's something brighter than me, better than me, grander than me. You use your little platform while you got it to tell them the sun's coming out. Lord, we love you. We can do nothing without you. We love you. We can do nothing without you. We love you. We can do nothing without you. Father. Use us to tell the world. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. Amen. Amen. I wonder if you'd stand with me. I pray that tonight you are rethinking your relationships. I pray that you are rethinking the influence you have on your relationships. Some of you tonight don't have an inner circle. Some of you tonight, you come in here on Sundays and you have no friends. My prayer is tonight that you'd begin to commit to making relationships, that that would be a prayer that you have. And you would begin to linger more here on Sunday, that you'd begin to linger more at Citigroup. You would begin to linger more on your serving team and you begin to, Go out to coffee with people because you need people in your life. You need a catalyst. You need more than just determination. You need community. Others of you tonight, as you heard about this Jesus, he is someone you want to know more, but you have not made that final step of knowing him. Pray that you would talk to one of the leaders here And you'd make that clear cut decision to know Jesus as Lord. Some of you need to get baptized. You can email info at Bridge Church and just acknowledge I need to be baptized. And I need to invite my friends to my baptism. Because what you promote and what you make public is the good news you really want people to know. Tonight we're going to have communion and we're gonna come and we are going to examine our hearts. We're gonna ask God to examine our hearts. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread, he broke it. He said, this is my body for you. He also took a cup, he poured wine in this cup. He said, this, this is the new covenant in my blood, take drink. He said, as often as you eat, drink, you proclaim the Lord's death. Tonight, if you don't know Jesus personally, don't do a ritual. Don't come down here because everybody's coming down here. Be honest with God. We're not going to judge you because you're not coming for communion. Be honest with God because communion don't save you. Jesus does. I pray that you would come to Christ before you come for communion. For those of us that are examining our walk with God, we're going to have communion here, here, here. You're going to come down the aisles in the middle and you're going to go out the outer aisles. If we could have the communion come. While they're on their way here, I'm going to pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, we ask that you would just sanctify this moment. Could we do business with you tonight, God? Would you help some of our people make decisions tonight? Decisions to follow you. Decisions to unfriend certain people. Decisions to redistribute the way that they act around their friends. Holy Spirit, Would you tonight engage us where we are, reach us where we are and let us follow you in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Again, down these aisles right here, out the outer aisles, come in your own time. We hope today's message was encouraging for you. We'd also love to hear how God used this message to speak to you. We hear from people all across the country about what God is doing through our podcast, and we'd love to hear from you. You can email us at info at You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram. Our handle for both of those social media outlets is at bridgechurchnyc. Our website is bridgechurchnyc.com.